do you ever look at your tech stack and you realize that something you thought was right was horribly, horribly wrong? You've been using it like that for years and years and years. And like it just shakes your core foundational beliefs in your abilities in the world around you. I'm sure that's a common experience that most people have. But no, my everything I do is is sublime and entirely beyond reproach. So so like you're saying that like the things that are mounted up under your desk are all like perfectly aligned with the edges of the desk and and like there's no disorder that would skew your uh, the underpinnings of your beliefs in in everything mother <laughs> uh, it's almost like we talked about this before we recorded <laughs> i did something this week that i have been meaning to do for like a year yeah which was mounting my audio interface under my desk Ooh, that's a, I, I see i haven't done that because i'm afraid of the crisscrossing cables with the xlrs and the audio uh, the analog line oh, an, analog interference yeah well because of the motor because i have the up and down desk and the motor is right oh. where i would want to put it and oh, i didn't even think about that Ooh, that's it, a that's tricky yeah if i put it someplace else it would have to crisscross a whole bunch of power and and go along the length of where the motor and i i have not done it because of that but you don't have that problem. No, so I don't. So it's pretty straightforward for you, right? Uh, I do uh, have a pretty straightforward situation here. Yes, I, I bought I bought some. So I have a Moto M4. We both have Motus. You had the exact same thing. We bought it. We, I bought the M4 because it was $50 cheaper, uh, more expensive than the M2. And it was available in the pandemic when I needed a new audio interface. Exactly why I also got the M4 and not the M2 because the M2 was definitely all I needed. But um, I bought uh, I bought some 3D printed mounts for it. Ooh, like specifically for the M4? Yes, eighteen months ago, I think. Oh, they've been aging. <laughs> um, it's, it's they're pretty nice. Like they're they 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 mount. They're made to mount under a thing. They have like yeah, screw yeah. holes in them. It's just a flat surface with screw holes, and then two little like they just clip around the edges, and they can go down. They even have little like three D printed latches, like the oh. little release. It like so slides it in slide there. forward and back. Yeah, it slides in and snaps in. They're like oh, pretty nice. nice. Although one of them showed up warped in the mail, and I emailed the eBay person, and they said, "Oh, they melt in shipping." I mean, plastic. If your plastics for if the shipping is three hundred degrees, yeah, they could they could warp. It's also a sign of a bad print. Sometimes I don't want to judge anybody. It very much seemed like a bad print to me. They did not look melted at all. They did just they, looked, did, they, did they send you a new one? So they sent me a whole new set. Oh, okay. The other set was exactly reversed. The other one was was bad in the exact same way. So anyway, whatever. I had. So you got one good one on each yes, side. Okay, yes, that's exactly. <laughs> Life finds a way. Yes, and then it took me well over a year to actually stick it up under there. Uh, anyway, I have a bag um, on my. I have a storage pile over here off camera to the left. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I have a bag over there that has a similar amount. I just bought one from Amazon that was like, hey, you can do this. And then I started looking at where the like I looked at where the cables would go and where I wanted it to be able to access the knobs. And I was like, I don't think I can do this on this desk. That's exactly why I had never done it, actually, yeah. is because there are downsides to putting it down there, such as you can't see the levels on the screen unless I lean under the desk, which is then hard to talk into a microphone. Yeah. Uh, anyway, but whatever, I'm, I'm trying it. I was all excited to finally get it done. I have a little extra time this week. Did you screw it in? No, I used uh, some 3M dual lock. Oh, that stuff is, once that's on, uh, you're never going to get that off. Uh-huh. How'd it go? It's crooked. Did it shake the, your foundations to the core? It's so crooked. What was I doing? <laughs> oh, no. How'd you get it crooked? I stuck it on looking at it front on. Oh, you got to be you got to be laying on your back underneath. That's exactly it. I I was in a hurry. I had I, I did some solo streaming yesterday for the first time in I think Ooh. literally years. Ooh, what'd you what'd you play? Uh, I played some of that new Last of Us roguelike mode, No Return. 
Oh, that sounds fun. Which is, which is pretty fun and really hard. It was fun. Oh. I, I, I miss solo streaming. I'm, I'm happy to have done some and I hope to do more in the future. It's, it's kind of fun. I've been playing Alan Wake 2, having never played an Alan Wake game before. Oh, man. And like, it's the only way I would be able to play a game that scary. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, I, can see it. You know, I need people in the room with me. Uh, but it's fun. It's nice to have share, like have a shared experience to play in a game. Yes, it turns out. Yes. There's, there's something there's a there's a dialogue between streamer and chat, let's say, yeah. when, when you're by yourself. But anyway, I was in a hurry because I was doing a bunch of setup. I also like uh, I set up the NVIDIA um, uh, machine learning background removal that's now built into OBS, which is awesome. Oh, wow. How did that work? Oh, have you used it? You don't have to run. Um, um, you don't have to run NVIDIA broadcast that separate app anymore to and then like make it a camera source or whatever. It's just built right into OBS now. You do have to install the NVIDIA. I forget what they call it. It's, it's like the runtime thing. Yeah, they have a runtime that does that. It works with OBS. It works with the Elgato camera app. If you have an Elgato camera where there's a bunch of other places, like you can inject it in any many, many places along the chain. How did it work? Quite well. I, I'm not perfect. I mean, you know, you yeah. definitely see some shimmer around my head and, and especially my glasses when you when you turn your head. Yeah, it's obviously it's not going to key out the uh, whatever's refracting through your glasses from the background. So that looks a little weird, but like for how small you are, typically, if you're doing and also that's wow, I was really surprised when I cut to the game shot. People were like people were very happy. That's what I was doing, like the the full screen game with just person cut out with background removed down in the corner. Seems like a thing that people that that seems like what a lot of people want on Twitch now. I would describe that as the current trend. Yes, I was. Yes. I like, I was shocked to see people actually say like, Oh, thank you for doing this setup. Anyway, it's funny since, since I started, you know, I started streaming on Twitch in 2017 with PUBG, and we've now gone through two full loops of your picture should be in a frame with a background that looks cool to you should green screen yourself out to you should be in a frame to you should green screen yourself out again. So weird, weird how trends set in trends are funny. like that. Anyway, all that is to say I was scrambling, doing a bunch of stream setup, kicking tires and stuff yesterday. So I did not lie down on my back when I mowed my, when I mounted that motu and it is tragically crooked. I'm, I'm going to tell you the best thing about the standing desk is that when I need to work under the desk, either on the computer or on the underside of the desk, oh, I can either lift the desk up high enough that I can sit up straight without having to like scrunch. Oh my God. Or I can bring it down low enough that I can just lay on my back and it's just like my hands are right there. And I'm just like working on the bottom of a car. That is immediately the best reason to have a standing desk I have heard. Yeah, it's <laughs> even, even better than the health benefits, being able to get to all the crap behind the desk like that. It is it is pretty easy compared to the the more traditional way of your arms always being really tired or being very uncomfortable. I'm sorry. You're, I'm sorry. Your mochu is crooked. And I'm also you're going to have to buy like a putty knife to scrape that stuff off because that 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 stuff is really sticky. The, 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 wor- the worst part is it's crooked in the wrong direction. Like if it was crooked toward me, it would be fine because then I it, that's that could be a choice. It's crooked facing away from me, which makes it harder to reach the oh. switch on the back and stuff. <laughs> and I'm I sorry. used all my dual lock in the process. Should I, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to buy more dual lock. This cannot stand. You should just use nanotape, man. That that'd probably it's not a it's not a um, it's not a smooth surface. Oh. It's very kind of rough. This is a crappy desk. It's I'm sorry, Brad. I'm sorry for your loss. Yes. Thank you. You know what? If I end up with another six to eight feet of dual lock sitting around in the house as a consequence of this, it's probably a net gain. <laughs>
Welcome to Brad and Will Made a Tech Pod. I'm Will. I'm Brad. Brad, I don't use dual lock for that. I just use sticky foam tape, double-sided foam tape for, for under desk sticking. That'll probably work too. It works most of the time. Sometimes it doesn't. There's a couple of things that haven't stuck particularly yeah. well to it. Yeah. My, my thought was just, I you know, just in case I ever need to pull it off, I should probably be able to pull it off because, you know, dual, dual lock for people, we've talked about it before, but if you don't remember, it's kind of the same concept as Velcro, except it's like hard plastic. They actually, I, I looked at the Amazon listing. You're leaning back in a pensive manner. Oh, I, th- I, when you, okay. I thought dual lock was that 3M stuff. That's like the, the gray, it's like a gray goo almost that oh. has a red tape on one side and you peel it off. And when you stick it on, it becomes fused with whatever you're sticking it onto forever and ever. Oh no, no, no. This is, um, they even describe it on the Amazon listing as they, it's like a mushroom shape. Like, okay, now, yeah. you, know how, you know how Velcro is a uh, hook, hook and loop. Yeah. So this is like mushrooms on both sides. They're both, there's this penetration is what you're saying. Sure. It's just, um, it's just these little mushroom looking plastic things that stick up and they're, they're very rigid and they just, they just like kind of lock together when you smush it, them together. It's more resistant to like the force pulling it apart than Velcro yes. is, right? Cause yes. Velcro, you kind of pulls apart pretty easily, but if you're shearing, it's, it's harder. Yeah. So, so if, um, you're, you're, if you're suspending something that I've, you know, this interface plus mounts is, I don't know, three, four pounds, maybe like if it's something relatively heavy, then dual lock is better than Velcro. Uh, but it, it is something I can just pull right off. You think that Motu M four weighs four? Uh, nah. I, I might be. I'm. That might be pushing it. Uh, it's, it's not it's like light. it's like ten ounces probably. Wait, really? Nah, it's at least a couple pounds, it right? Well, it's made of metal. Yeah. Plus, plus the mount. Like I said, though, yeah, yeah, yeah. this has to suspend the the, the clips as well. But uh, yeah. uh, dual lock's good. Dual, if, if it's something you're mounting where you would also want to be able to pull the device off and like potentially use it somewhere else temporarily and stick it back on, this is. I, I, that's been the best thing I've found. Can I ask a stupid question since it's dual lock? Sure. Why don't you just pull it off and rotate it the right number of degrees and then jam it back up on the on the dual lock that's still there? I considered it. Okay. <laughs> then I'm not going to have maximum suspending force or what? What's the what is the physics? What's the engineering term for the force that is suspending this thing in the air? Anti gravity. I might. I'm. I'm. I'll probably. I just think you're try. probably okay. I'll probably try that first. It'll. Yeah. Pro- actually, you know, I've never. I've, that's. You know, that might actually be an interesting dual lock test because I've never tried sticking it on crooked before, where the two where the two sides are not perfectly aligned. So yeah, I, I don't wonder, think the lines are like. There's no orientation on that stuff. It, that might be fine. I'm still. I still need to buy more dual lock though, because you know what? It's just nice to have around. It's a useful thing to have. Yeah. Uh, Brad, we've reached the last episode of the month, which, mm-hmm. as you are aware, I believe, means that we are uh, firmly into the question zone, where we uh-huh. turn Q's into A's. Question zone. <laughs> Welcome to the question zone. I'm Will. Um, but no, uh, every month we take questions from the audience uh, that you can send them into our email address, which is uh, techpod at content.town. Or alternately, if you're in the Discord, if you're a TechPod Patreon, uh, a patron and are part of our Patreon, you can go to the question seeking answers channel on the Discord, post the questions there, just fire fire them into the ether. They disappear. Mm-hmm. And then through the magic of, of uh, channel permissions, we will see them. And we will be able to answer them uh, should we choose to do so. Uh, we got, we got. I think this might be our highest ratio of questions that we marked that we've ever gotten. I'm scrolling through now. There's like three or four Discord questions that one of us did not flag. Three. Yeah. The, the quality of questions is is good. Good job, community. Yeah, it's it's pretty high. I don't know that we're going to get through all of them, but we can try. Yes, and I think we definitely. should start uh, right about now. Oh, by the way, if you want to join the the Patreon, you want to uh, you know get in the Discord, hang out with the beautiful people in there. You can go to patreoncom checkpod. I usually do this at the end, but I've noticed that successful podcasts often also do it at the beginning. So, yeah. you know, there you go. Call to action. 
Yeah, there you have it. Uh, with all that said, I'm tempted to start with this question that neither of us did flag because it's so mind bending. Uh, go for it. I was I was awake between the hours of two and six last night, so I'm not all there right now. And oh, I, that's that's not good. Let's see if either of us can answer. Uh, this is from Grant. Mm-hmm. It's a meta question about question asking. Yeah. Nothing people love more than a meta question. Uh, how can I ask a question here now if I'm only allowed to post questions I have in the future? What happens if I ask a question that I then forget about and it's no longer a question I have when the future arrives? Does it just cease to exist? So I think this is a reference to the note in the Discord channel. Okay. I I mean, I think questions are always questions, whether they're future questions or past questions. It's impossible it's impossible to quantify and specify a time for a question. If if a question falls in the woods and no one is there to hear it, does it have an answer? That's kind of where I was going. But like, I mean, I look, you're allowed to post questions whenever you want. That's true. Whether the questions for now or for the future is up to us, not yes. you. Yes. Also, so I guess the, the, what I'm saying is the probability waveform collapses mm-hmm. the moment we open that channel. That's right. Up until then, it's in an indeterminate state where it's That's either correct. answered nor not answered. Okay, perfect. I was really hoping this would go in a quantum direction and you have succeeded. <laughs> yeah, only now we've closed the loop. It's been answered, I think, successfully. Mm-hmm. And we can move on to the next question. That's right. That's right. I, um, man, I wish I could find this again. I read a, uh, I read an explanation of quantum superposition a, while, a couple of years ago yeah. about, uh, or quantum, uh, like, you know, the, 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 the dead cat thing, you know, the, you know, Schrodinger's cat. It's a famous thought experiment, not a real experiment, except for in some universities, right? Thing, thing is in all possible states until it's observed. Well, the the, well, it's not all possible states. The states or, are dead or not dead. Well, and it's based on whether a cesium atom decays. I think I can't remember. I mean, when we're talking about a cat dead and not dead are the two possible states, right? To be fair. I mean, I would argue that cats have a rich inner life, but whatever. Yeah, okay. okay, fine. Anyway, the, the, the description I read was not the thing being observed is not affected by the observation. The thing doing the observing is then entangled with the wave function. Does yeah, that that, that's, that's the problem with quantum mechanics and science. Is that the act of observing, like there's basically quite one of the core ideas, as I understand it, as a person who took this stuff 20, 30 years ago in college and hasn't kept up, is that once you observe something, you are inextricably connected to it. There's no such thing as an outside observer. I mean, look, here's the thing, though. Then this is important to remember about quantum mechanics. I love quantum mechanics. It's fun to talk about. The thing to remember is that, you know, in the 1800s, we thought that, um, that maggots spontaneously arose from rotting meat and, and the idea that something that flies could come and lay eggs on meat to, uh, to, 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 you know, to, 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 to turn to the maggots and the maggots would become flies was a ludicrous proposition. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's entirely possible that in a hundred years, we're going to look back at, <laughs> at, at this quantum superposition stuff as an absolute load of hooey. And they're like the middle school kids will be laughing at all the silly 20th century people who were, were murdering cats with cesium atoms. Yes. Except those middle school kids will have become higher dimensional beings capable of traversing time as a physical dimension. Yeah. Super intelligent shades of the color blue. Yes, exactly. (laughs) All right. Um, Okay. This is a great question uh, from Omoshi Yoshi. What keyboard shortcut would you like to be able to use in real life? I would really love to be able to control F my car keys sometimes. Paste. Paste. I'd like to just make copies of stuff. Just control V. Oh, in, in, in that sense. Like, you mean yeah. endless, like multiple copies. Oh. Yeah. So I could just con- control C, control V, a $100 bill, for example. Hey, Brad, you want a cheeseburger? Uh, Sure. Wait a minute. 
you're, you're yeah. you've basically invented a replicator here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it solved world hunger, all sorts of problems. You control paste, you can copy paste stuff. Mm-hmm. Everything, all, all of our problems are solved. That's you know, that's a pretty good one actually. Now that you mentioned it, my my first thought was window key V for the clipboard history to be able to recall a big list of pieces of information that I have forgotten but are still there. That's pretty good. Uh, at on on command would be pretty helpful. That's pretty uh, good. Let's see. I'm gonna the hmm. Windows P is good. Just turn off turn off the you know turn off the world. Okay. Yes, that would be nice on occasion. <laughs> I, would, I would go to my secondary monitor. That's uh-huh. the fun monitor. Yeah. Um. Gosh, what else is good? Like the I don't know the the emoji. Could we could we like adapt the emoji picker to be like a language picker? Could I like say hey? I can, mm. eh, that's probably a stretch. I think that's too far. What about task manager? Could you just could you just turn off stuff you didn't want? Could you control okay. all escape and yeah. bust open just kill some process? Like you're like hey, there's ten people in line in front of me in target. Boom, problem solved. Like task manager for your body, maybe you can see like how well your heart and how like what's the load on your heart. Oh, no, no, I want it for the world around me. I don't oh. want it. My body is perfect. It's a, how, it's a temple, Brad. How how well are your lungs functioning? Um, okay, should we move on? I think I think I think I think we've uh, I think we've maybe Alt and Enter, maximize, minimize. Yeah, okay. Yeah, um, I don't know. It's not terrible. Uh, multiple desktops. Okay, we're really stretching the metaphor here. Oh man, um, make that mind palace bigger. Yeah. Uh, okay. Shags Magoo. Does it throw you guys off when, uh, does it throw you guys off any, when people change their profile pictures after having a previous one for a long time? Yes. Like it, yeah, killed, it kills me. Yeah. It kills me. When, when you might as well be a different person at that point. Cause I'm yep. like, I, I recognize a profile picture. I'm like, Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then I look and the profile pictures change. I'm like, Oh, Hey, somebody new is here and posting all the time. That's weird. And I'm like, Oh wait, no, this is somebody who's been here for two years. Yes. If you're, if you're a prolific chatter on the discord and you change your profile picture, just know that you were taking a little piece of my heart with you. I mean, it's just that you're basically re-anonymizing yourself and starting over again. Yeah. Yeah. You'll, yeah. you'll, you'll build that memory back up, but sure. It throws me for a loop. Absolutely. Um, you marked this uh, this moon landing one. I was I was debating this one. Let's read it from you. So you so I'm not sure how to say your I, name. I would say that's you. So, yeah, that's what I thought. How hard is it to land on the moon? Surely this is a solved problem since we've been sending stuff there for 60 years. Can I just crowdfund 100 million dollars, build a lunar lander, send a rover there and then do Twitch plays lunar mission? For, well, first of all, first of all, I don't think I don't I don't think you're getting there for a hundred million dollars. Well, India did, but also oh, did somebody they? somebody rightly pointed out that the price of labor, like the price of the support staff and the engineering and the you know the thousands of people that build a rocket that goes to the moon, is lower in India than it is here, right? Um, so Japan, actually, let me sorry, let me jump in. I've been a little unplugged from the news for the last couple of weeks. What, did, did something yeah. happen with the the Indian lunar mission? Yeah, they made it. They did it. Mission accomplished. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, Japan just landed. Kind of had a hard soft landing for 120 mil. Okay. Um, Wait, what do you mean then, by hard soft? So they landed. The theory I think is that one of the um, uh, one of the engines fell off in the landing oh. process so it landed soft but it tipped over immediately afterwards i see okay it, mu- it must be the japanese mission i was thinking of when i asked if something happened because I, I thought i remembered seeing a headline go by that there's something slightly precarious happened with a lunar yeah. landing so the, the 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 probe is working but it's not 
it's not upright. The solar panels aren't charging because they're aimed not, at the ground or something. Not ideal. Um, there was a private mission that was, I think, $160 million that okay. they that they didn't make it to orbit because they had a leak. I mean, they didn't make it to the moon because they had a leak and it, it's going to burn up in the Earth's atmosphere and not even making it as far as the moon's orbit. So, yeah, I mean, I think could you do it for $100 million? I mean, one person couldn't. But you could spend a hundred million dollars and hire a whole bunch of smart people and probably make that happen. It's I don't think it's as easy as Kerbal is the DLDR. Sadly, yeah. yeah. Also, I mean, I'm, I'm just assuming things like that are always inherently going to be somewhat difficult, right? Like it's a it's a it's a highly precision task that you know, like it's not like it's not like there's air currents or something that are you know there's not going to be that much variability. Like the, the gravity is like broadly understood. There's probably not going to be that many different. Well, I, I don't know. Maybe, I mean, maybe if, if it was maybe if it was done enough times, it could become routine where it would be kind of a guaranteed chance of success. If you read, but the question is now, right? And now yeah. the answer is no. Like until recently, we hadn't landed on the moon in forty years, right? Um, the the as as a species, not as Americans. Um, the the if you read the books about this, this like probes, like people who make JPL, the work that JPL does in the U.S. and and you know other um, uh, uh, institutions do around the world, like the thing that you realize is that this is this is maybe the most there's there's an idea that the more you learn about stuff, the the more you appreciate the complexity of it. And that what seems like it's pretty straightforward from the outside, it immediately becomes fractally complex, right? And it happens when you look at somebody, you know, going into game design from something else or or going uh, and learning how to launch a media media empire, right? Like it's like, it turns out everything's hard and you don't realize it until you're really in the weeds. And this is maybe the best example of that. Oh, my God, right? dude, that that idea has such broad applicability on the Internet to people opining about other people's jobs. Well, of course, yeah, I mean, but the, but it's a it's universal. Everything looks easy when you're just watching the output, right? Yeah, like everybody like, assumes everything is easy when they don't know what how the sausage is made. Yeah, but but like to land on the moon, a hundred million things have to go right, right? And and if one of them fails, you might still make it, but it, probably not. Like like the fact that we sent all those people to the moon, and nobody died that we know of, pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, no, I don't I don't think. I don't think you could crowdfund it. I don't think, I don't think playing Kerbal is going to help you get to the moon for real. Yeah. Are Sadly. there, um, are there international treaties or any kind of, uh, any standing agreements that govern people landing on the moon? Well, so yeah, there's all sorts of treaties, but what are the, what, if you break a treaty on the moon, what are you going to do? What are oh, they going to do to you? I mean, the effects would be felt on earth. I would presume. <laughs> I mean, maybe there's like, can, like can, the, the private mission had human remains that were going to be disposed of on the moon that, um, I don't, I don't love that. People were pretty profoundly upset about Yeah, I, I extremely don't love that. Yeah. Like, the, like there's, there's, there's not. So the answer I think is that there's not enough regulation on some stuff. There's, there's fine regulation on other stuff that's mostly unenforceable. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is just to be clear. This is what from, from, uh, from, uh, what's the Apple for all mankind. Yeah. Uh, the Apple show is about, yeah. they get into this a lot. They spend Man. a lot of time talking about treaty stuff. It's worth watching. It's really I've, good. I've got to watch that show. Sounds like it's like right up my alley. And I if only a lot we of people recommend it. If only we had a podcast where we talked about that kind of stuff and could really, you know, like watch the first season and then talk about it. Wait, is this an idea for me? If only, Oh, Oh, if um, only Brad, I don't know that that show, that, that show might have to get in line behind Halt and catch fire because that still is the, is the one for me. 
Yeah, but Halt but, and Catch Fire isn't readily available right now, yeah, and that is. So anyway, we can talk that, about this later. This is an offline. Yes, that's, that's what's been. Yeah. We should offline this conversation, Brad. All right, fine. Fine. Um, let's see here. You uh, just preemptively marked a question and answer that has not been answered. Oh, this is an unprecedented sorry. Sorry, uh, change in, in, uh, in policy. Uh, well, so, okay. Well, we, we are going to read this one. There, there's like a block of questions about your electric vehicle. We People had a lot of electric vehicle questions this month. I don't know what's going on. Uh, I, we should probably just do all of them here. We um, can welcome to the EV block. Do, 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 do. Uh, this one's from another Dave, although I think we should just read this and then read one of the others because they get a little more specific and this one's pretty broad. How has the yeah. Bolt uh, EV been treating Will? Are you able to charge at home? Uh, what percent EVs do you estimate there are on the road in your part of California? Actually, go ahead and answer that one. And then do so um, I don't know what the percentage is. It's high. It's, I don't know if it's high because you notice them when you start driving EVs or just because they look different than normal cars. We see a lot of Teslas, a lot of Hyundais, a lot of Kias, a lot of bolts. I like a ton of bolts, um, fewer leafs and like that kind of era of electrics now. But, but it, like, I would think at most 10% would be high, maybe 20. Yeah. Um, uh, I charge at home. I didn't ever put an L2 charger in cause I need to replace the electrical service to the house to have enough, enough circuits to do that. Um, with the small battery in the bolt, it's not necessary. Uh, it's like a 58 or 60 kilowatt hour battery, I think. And it turns out more than enough, like that'll charge on the 120 volt. No problem. We put about 25,000 miles on it in the last three years. The lease is up in April and I'm, I kind of just want to buy this car cause it's been in, it's been treated well and it's in good shape. It's probably not the right choice cause they're selling for a little bit cheaper than the buyout price on, on the lease. Um, and I don't know how I would handle it if I couldn't charge at home. Like the slow trickle charge at home has two benefits in California is one is that we, we reduce our electrical rate from midnight to 3 PM. The other is that, like it, it really for like if you have a F one fifty Lightning, you need an L two charger. If you have a car with a relatively small battery, you know this car is relatively light for an EV. You're fine on the one hundred twenty volt, assuming you're not driving like ninety miles a day. Yeah, do you? This is a, an aside. Do you have any idea how well the Lightning is selling? I I I was under the impression they had like taken off and exploded, but then. Someone I know who is, let's say, a bit anti-EV was kind of railing about how it was like a giant failure recently. And I didn't actually look up to see if that was like propaganda or true. So the initial the initial my understanding is that it sold like crazy for a while and then it slowed down as the price. Like one of the things that you'll you'll find if you're shopping for an EV is that the price the prices change dramatically based on the current gas prices. Like right now, people are interested in California because gas is always above five dollars a gallon right now. And um, they make they make you know, the more expensive gas gets, the more more sense an EV makes, basically. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, my sister was telling me gas is two twenty a gallon where she is or something. So, you know, your need for an EV is a little bit lower. Yeah, I, I think I think. The lightning as somebody who's driven an EV for a while and is looking for the second one now the lightning has some problems that are first gen issues that they'll work out. Um, one is that it charges slow, especially considering how big its battery is. It charges, it has a 150 kilowatt charge rate um, max and it has an enormous battery. 
So you're you're looking at long like if you're on a long drive you, and you have to stop and charge, you're going to have long charge times. If you need a truck for towing, they're not the EVs are not great for that just because you're you're going to cut your 300 or 400 mile battery to a 100 mile battery when you tow a big heavy load with that with that truck. Um, and, and so like, if you're looking to replace your truck, like if, if you're a person who buys a truck because you're a big, strong man and needs a, to drive a pickup truck, uh, and you could use a sedan for everything that you drive that pickup truck for a lightning's great for you. If you're, uh, towing big loads, or if you actually have to put stuff in the bed and haul it around, maybe not a good car turns out. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, let's move on to these next questions. Here's one from Xander. Uh, I'm debating getting a car for the first time in several years, specifically leasing an EV. I live in an apartment in San Francisco at the moment without garage access. I do live just above the street and have been debating about joining the new trend of just tossing a cord out the window over the deck <laughs> and down to the car to charge it from wall power. <laughs> How awful will this be? Additional fun question. Uh, the circuit this would be on also is the circuit my 3d printers are on. Can I charge my car and 3d print at the same time? That is a 21st century question. If yeah, I this is one. the most, maybe the most Xander question ever also. Um, so the 3d printers, depending on the kind of 3d printer you run, we usually run between like 50 and 300, 300 Watts. They're not a huge draw. Um, you should be able to run them at the same time, especially if you're charging on the slow rate. I would be honestly, I would be more worried about somebody stealing the charger than anything um, because the chargers typically are at least two or three hundred dollars. The hundred and twenty volt ones, if you have to replace them. And that would be I think that would be my primary concern in San Francisco is if somebody would just yank it out of the wall and run. Sure. Because uh, they don't like depending on the car, they may or may not lock in place like the the Chevrolet's the one that they ship with the Chevrolet. And I don't think the bolt. I don't think the bolt connector locks. I think Tesla's lock in place, the the their their standard, but I think most of them you you have to are just a button that you press, so it's an easy snatch and grab for five hundred bucks. Are the um? I mean, you may have just kind of implicitly answered this question. Are the chargers typically corded or like with a cord built in, or are they just like a dongle with a, an electrical port or outlet that you plug a, a standalone cord into? So um, the level one, so there's there's three types of chargers for EVs right now, right? There's level ones, which are 120 volt plug into a normal, you know, US three prong, you know, two, two flats and a round uh, wall plug. And they usually operate between eight and 12 amps. Um, the uh, the level two chargers run on a 200, 220 volt plug, like a dryer, dryer oven plug, range plug, electric range plug. And um, they'll charge significantly faster than the 120, 120 volt, eight amp ones, obviously. Um, those are usually mounted, although often when you have them installed, if you think if you're moving or in an apartment or something like that, you'll have a 220 volt plug put in. Sometimes you hardwire those into the wall. More often these days, I think people are using the 220 volt plug option so that they can take take the thousand dollar charger with them when they move. Um, it sometimes if you like, for example, if you get the power company to put part of that build and they'll require it to be wired in, which makes sense because they want to in increase infrastructure. Um, the the third option, level three chargers are the ones that you use like on the side of the freeway when you're driving between San Francisco and L.A. or something that are 480 volts and are higher speed up to 350 or 400 watt chargers. Um, so, yeah, to answer your question, the plugs that come with the car, like the cars usually come with 120 volt 
level one charger. Sometimes it's a hybrid, like like Chevrolet now ships level one, level two hybrid chargers that you can you have a different pigtail for the 120 volt version and the 240 volt version, but it's the same box. There's always a little box that handles the communication with the car and knows when to turn it on. The interesting thing is some chargers will talk to the power grid. Some level two chargers will talk to the power grid and be like, okay, I'm allowed to charge at these times and not these times because the rate's high. Some of that, some cars require that to be built into the car and don't work on the charger side. So it's like, depending on the car, depending on the charger you have. It's a lot to know. It seems it's, 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 I mean, it's as big a change as when we went from, you know, horses and carriages and what you have to know about keeping a horse alive and working a carriage as moving to a horseless carriage. You know, it's, 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 it's a, it's a, complete change in the way the technology works. Sure. Um, okay. Last car question here from David. Yeah. Uh, have you played around with any internet connected hardware devices, uh, available to connect to your OBD two port for your Chevy bolt for remote monitoring, or do you primarily just use GM's OnStar services for your car? Uh, I recently bought a, a used 2017 bolt and have found the software and connectivity of the car to be less than ideal. Unfortunately, I don't get the free years of access to their OnStar services, having bought the car used. I don't want to pay the high subscription cost for OnStar uh, to gain these services. Uh, I've recently been looking into some cellular connected monitoring devices that interface with your car's OBD2 port and was wondering if you've ever looked into these. So I, I have. I've used mostly the Bluetooth ones. Um, the the OnStar, my understanding was that Bolts got the OnStar for battery monitoring and and remote battery indefinitely, but that might only be the first owner. I don't I don't know about that for sure. Um, I wouldn't probably pay for OnStar. The information you get from the at least on my 2021 Bolt is not sufficient for for what I would expect from a paid service. Like you get battery level and you get I think tire status and a couple other things. You can remote start the car, but it doesn't give you. It doesn't give you battery stat current battery status like when you're driving when when you actually really want it. So I bought an ODB to OBD, not old dirty bastard OBD uh, to OBD. port uh, dongle that connects to the phone via Bluetooth and lets you talk to like a better route planner and stuff like that. So you, the so that the route the routing app can get live battery data, which turns out to give you really really accurate. Uh, range estimates when you're doing a long road trip it doesn't matter if you're doing like a one charge trip if you're doing a three charge trip you're you want it, it turns out to be helpful saves time yeah. uh david linked to a couple of the ones that he must be looking at openvehicles.com and the other one is autopie.io yeah so and both of those are neat the there's some there's some security current concerns with running obd2 devices on most cars because typically the bluetooth lockdown isn't exactly as good as you want and like it's depending on where you are, it's a, there's potential for somebody to like connect to your car via Bluetooth and unlock the car from the outside when they don't have a previous relationship with your car. Um, I tend, I generally unplug the OBD two port things when I'm not driving for a long time. Autopie is different. It's a, it's a, it's a more of a, like you basically plug a pie into your OBD two port. That's what I was waiting to say. It is literally Raspberry Pi based. Can I just read this this paragraph on autopie.io for developers? Developer-first vehicle telematics platform built on Raspberry Pi, boots an open-source OS and open API, run local Docker images natively, <laughs> do a full stream of your CAN bus, built-in support for UDS, J1939, and do IP, whatever those are, but 
running Docker images on a device connected to your car is also extremely 2024. Well, so it's it's really like the data you get out. It, it gives you basically it's basically at that point, it becomes a Fitbit for your car, right? Sure. Like you get you get driver's logs, you get um, real time tracking, you get the ability to see what the battery state is from anywhere, whether you're connected to it or not. There is a monthly charge. I mean, depending on what modem you decide to use, there's a monthly connection rate because you do have to hook it up to your cellular network somehow but because it's relatively low data you can use one of the cheaper options rather than like just charging you know adding 10 bucks and another phone number to your to your data plan right um so it's it's interesting i think it's probably like if if you like noodling with stuff it's great um if you are um if you are looking for something for normal people to use. It's probably early for that stuff would be my read on that. Although like the mini, which is plug and play and is pretty straightforward. seems like maybe it's a, it's a good choice. I don't know what the, what the cellular data status on that is. That's cool. I, I also don't like buying cars that have services attached to them. Yeah. I could definitely like see on that. Star. It's a, is, it feels gross. Is that not all of them now though? They, they all have services, but some are worse than others. Like, like Chevrolet wants to, paywall a bunch of stuff that comes with carplay uh in their future cars which they've already gotten blowback on and maybe maybe rolling back on i don't know it's Fair. it's like everything as a service is not great I cars agree. as a service feels bad i agree wholeheartedly all right um here's a here's a, a, an interesting question that i wish i had a better answer for from one sweet chuck uh, listening to the episode about input devices, why did games settle on WASD movement uh, as standard instead of ESDF, where your hand would normally be for touch typing? Uh, for first-person shooters, when I'm always moving, it's not a big deal. Uh, but even after gaming for 20-plus years, on games where my hand moves around the keyboard, finding my way back to WASD is very hit and miss. My hand wants to go to the home row, uh, especially because the nub on a ton of keyboards is on the F key. Uh, I don't have the best answer for this, to be perfectly honest. I looked into this and there's no clear consensus. Okay. Um, somebody I, didn't. Is it, is it just the case that somebody did it and then some more people did it and it just happened? Yeah, I think um, I, th I think that's it, actually. I think that's um, I think that probably my guess would be Doom or Quake shipped with WASD this, as the standard. Um, so, so Quake. Yeah, so Quake, Quake one was the, still arrow keys at, still, at launch. Yeah, it was still arrow keys. Um, but then people very quickly switched to WASD so that you didn't have to move your hands to the left side of the keyboard when you were using the mouse. Yes. And um I but I don't have any I, I like I used ESDF for years and then switched because I got tired of changing the default settings in every like what when it I actually I remember when I switched, it was when first person shooter key bindings got complicated beyond just using the number keys to change guns. Um, and you suddenly needed Q and R and E and, and H and G for like offhand grenade and reloads and, and all that stuff. And that's when I, that's when I just stopped rebinding everything. Yeah, man, I'm actually starting to feel very bummed about this as we discuss it. First of all, I was going to say like on WASD, maybe at least your pinky can hit things like control and shift more easily, but I'm sitting here trying ESDF and I can still hit shift and control pretty much just fine from there. Uh, so that's not a problem. Now, the other thing that occurs to me as I rest my fingers on ESDF is things like hitting R for reload or, you know, common, like, like you just said, tons of keys that, you know, G for grenade or whatever. When you're, when you're, when your hands are already on the home row where they're used to being, 
the muscle memory for those keys is still active. You know what I mean? So like, I don't have to think about the weird extra stretch to hit R or not like maybe not quite hitting R or hitting T accidentally instead. You know what I mean? Like hitting the hitting the non-movement keys seems like it would be way easier if we were if we were sitting on the, the home row. But then you do also lose your like like your PUBG style lean keys would have been our Q and E by default usually. Right. I, sure. I think part of it is that Quake didn't have an action button. Right. So you just walked up yeah. to stuff and it, and, it, and like switches triggered when you got close to them. Wait, doesn't, doesn't it do doesn't have an action button? Quake did not. Does it not? Quake two does. I guess you're right. Yeah. Huh. So, so, you know, quake and there was no reload in quake either. So you were just yeah. switching guns. <laughs> Hell yeah, like, there wasn't in quake. My, my buttons like W was the rocket launcher and R was the, was the lightning gun. Huh. So I could switch to those instantly without having to scroll, uh, you know, weapon up or weapon down or stretch all the way to the, like the seven button. Um, but yeah, I, I think, I think that, I think that as the controls got more complicated, it got the the price of changing was higher for me at least. I I do like I like the idea of having G. I mean, like I I switched to a new keyboard recently, I'm using the Model One Hundred that I got oh. on Kickstarter ages ago, which has been a real humbling experience. <laughs> um, we, should, we should talk about that in, in more depth at some point. Yeah, I think I, I mean I think next time we do a potpourri episode, I can talk about it. But it's it turns out when you're used to your pinkies doing something for thirty years, and then you switch to doing those same things with your thumb significantly challenging uh, i'm getting there though it's I been could, about a week i could see that yeah um here's a let's let's do another game related question maybe you can put on your game design hel- uh, helmet hat okay here question from Jenny, i think is the technical term Beanie, for the yeah, game design hat yeah we're talking like the one with the propeller but, i mean if you're if you're advanced yeah okay <laughs> that's, the, that's the mark of expertise the propeller propeller and it's got three colors instead of just one yes uh question from Jen. Why do so many games have you quit to the main screen of the game and then make you exit to desktop from there? Why can't I just quit when I want to exit? Isn't that a um I believe that that's part of the console uh uh the TCR. TCR, yeah. Oh, because, they, because you need to go back to the home screen. You need to have a home screen that you go back to so that you can change users on the oh, consoles, on the sure. modern consoles. Yeah. Um, because if you change like normally if you change users from inside if, you, if, for example, if you're playing on the Switch, I don't know anything about the Twitch, the Switch TCR, so that's why I'm using that one. Um, if you if you're playing a game on the Switch, you change users, and then um, it's going to kick you back to that to that that launch screen, the press press A to start screen, uh, and and that's why you usually have to go on PC games. You have to go back to that because that's the fastest way out, and they usually depending on the developer, some of them will put an exit to desktop button in the menus. Most of them, most console game ports don't think about how you close the game because the console just does that without you having to worry about it. Yeah. All right. That was, that was a highly informed answer. Um, it's the kind of thing you think about. Like, like for example, this was my, one of my favorite pages on Giant Bomb back in the day was the games that say press A to start and you actually have to press A and not start or mm-hmm. like any button or whatever. Like I, I, it was a, it was a clever name for it. It was like specific requirements on button anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think that one, that one collects games or games, games that say to hit a specific button, but actually let you hit anything. Maybe that's it. Yeah. Is is what it was. Something like that. Yeah. That was a fun wiki. Wikis. It turns out I always wanted a wiki. It seemed like it'd be fun. Oh yeah. Yeah. I bet it would have. Anyway. Um, (sighs) All right. I see you. I see you highlighting this VR question. Do you want to? Oh, no, I wasn't. I was just idly mousing, but we can do it. Yeah. Okay. Well, here we are. It's from input name here. 
Uh, for VR, I've heard that a portion of the population are unable to process the effect because of vision-related conditions. Uh, I have had issues with the 3D rides at theme parks, and my limited exposure, or experience rather, with VR uh, has always felt off. How do I know if it's an issue with my eyes or just an expected limitation of the hardware? So one of the things that became clear um, if you did a bunch of VR demos is that there's a big um, variance in how people experience 3d either because they have, um, like vision problems, whether it's just myopia or differing prescriptions and different eyes, whether it's because, uh, some people do uh, rather than have bifocals, they'll do like one eye that's an up close eye and one eye that's a far away eye. And they don't even think about it. It just kind of happens because brains are weird. Uh, some people, and, and this seemed to be gender, uh, specific, some people, uh, use binocular vision primarily to determine depth. Some people use shading and coloring and, and like use sh sh other cues to determine depth. And it seems like generally this is a broad generalization, but th there's science that backs this up. Generally women tend to use non-binocular vision cues and men tend to use binocular vision as cues, which is why VR like something like 15% of women have a problem, have a hard time with VR, uh, like get, motion sick to varying degrees almost immediately um th like these are these are all problems that the industry has to work on right just just to be clear um feeling off is kind of vague and it's hard for me to know exactly what you mean if, if you mean it didn't work for you a lot of people have used vr and it doesn't work i i gave a demo one time to a woman who didn't tell me that she didn't she, she was missing she had a glass eye and so thus she didn't have binocular vision and also she got vertigo. So she was using tilt brush and immediately painted herself into like a tiny, tiny box. So she couldn't see anything. And without the outside perception, her inner ear was often like I had to catch her. She oh, literally no. was going to beef it. Oh no. Um, the, uh, like, like the, I guess what I'm trying to say is there's an enormous, incredibly varied spectrum of, human experience when it comes to vision and proprioception and, and like balance and, and all the, all these things that impact VR in a way that no other VR, uh, no other video games really do. And, and um, the only way you can find out if it's going to work for you is to spend some time with it, unfortunately. So if you're going to buy a VR headset and you think you have concerns uh, and, and oh, oh, at the same time, like I have a lot of friends who do VR stuff and are have, quite enjoy it and have, you know, everything from lazy eyes to like, like are legally blind in one eye and like you can continue doing it. It's just, it's just, you lose a lot of the depth cues and you have to use other stuff instead that, that, that binocular vision provides. So yeah, you're like, you're, you're in the, you're in a world with somewhere between 10 and 20% of people probably would be, I guess it's, it's not, uh, it's not you. It's everyone. It turns out. Sure. Yeah. It's just, it's just the frailty of the human condition. Like brains are weird. Like, yeah. like, like everything is a spectrum spectrum. Like this is, this is the thing that became clear. I did in 2015, 2016, I did a whole bunch of ER demos and, and I have friends who've done similar things. Like you, you really, uh, you doing, seeing people work with VR and see how, and how it impacts them changes your perception of like we, we do not all our brains and eyes and sensoriums do not all work the same. And that is really, really clear after a relatively short number of those demos. Sure. Um, I wonder, I wonder if you were to do all those demos today, I wonder if you would notice a significantly lower 
I want to say failure rate, but like problem rate with different people's perception, just just given all the advances in headsets in the last like eight years? Maybe, but I think that like, for example, the 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 difference in depth perception when you use shadowing and, and kind of visual cues versus binocular vision hasn't changed because like self-shadowing self-shadowing 3d characters is still pretty expensive on on most raster pipelines yeah, yeah like not not a lot of ray traced vr games yet yeah and the vr stuff is almost all raster still because of performance reasons i think the one thing the motion sickness like there was a as the frame rates generally increased the motion sickness issues went way down um but Again, it, that only helps the people who are frame rate sensitive motions to, to motion sickness, not the people who have depth perception issues and, and all those other things. So like, like the VR folks have done a good job of carving off different, you know, different slices of the people that are affected by this stuff. But but there's still a huge mass of people who just like hell. Um I don't want to name any names, but I have a friend who has consistently complained that nobody his head is large. And nobody, the VR headsets are never big enough to fit on his head and be comfortable. And it's not like he has what looks like it's, you know, it's not like he has an enormous head walking around on a tiny little body. He's, he's just a normal looking guy who's big and like the Oculus headsets have never fit him because they make stuff for the top, for the 90th percentile, not the 99th percentile. Yes. So yeah, any, anytime you're in the, the 10th, top 10th percentile of anything, you're going to have problems. I don't know. I don't know why you just made me think of how how much Dick Tracy villains leaned on what you're talking about. The enormous melons. Yes. Yeah. Or, or tiny face or whatever. Yeah. They all look like Charlie Kirk. Yes. Yes, indeed. Um, I don't have the best answer, but I would still like to address this from Meatball here. Okay. Um, I like a meatball. Maybe, maybe you have more experience with this. My mother passed away about two years ago, and I've been intending to tackle scanning in the two and a half Rubbermaid containers full of old family photos and albums to make digital copies of everything. Uh, I found an app that lets me scan multiple photos at once called Scan Speeder Pro, uh, but it's taking forever to put them all on the scanner and then add metadata to all the images to capture things like who was in the picture, when it was taken, where, etc. Uh, have either of you all dealt with uh, anything like this or have any thoughts or ideas that might make this whole process any faster or easier? So I've done a little bit of this. Have you have you delved into this yet, Brad? No, but we I, I mean, I probably will have to at some point. We have gotten reams and reams of old physical photos of stuff at home. I I bought um, before I went back east once a little flat, a little portable flatbed scanner that's like that's sized for, I think, up to five by sevens which is what most of the photos I would want to scan are. Um, you can just hold it up to a photo in a, in a photo album, even like you can open up the lid and just jam it up against there and line it up. Uh, the, the, um, the tagging and stuff is hard. So I didn't do person tagging, but I also upload stuff to both Google and iCloud and those kind of both handle that. If you, if you give them the right cues and, and turn that on, um, I didn't dates are hard. I generally the way my family's photo albums are set up, we don't often have dates. Yeah. So we have like a fall of 1992, but not like October 17th, 1992. And and we didn't ever pay for we never had cameras that burned in the date on the front or the back of the photo, which I'm glad it wasn't in the front. I kind of wish it was on the back, it turns out. Um, but I, I would just scan them and then worry about the tagging 
Like I wouldn't worry as much about tagging people because that's a tractable, easy problem that you can solve with computers. Yeah. The date stuff is what I would worry about. And I would just batch them into folders by, based on like the page of the album they were in or something. Yeah. Just do your best. Yeah. I mean, you can even. So the thing I did last time was scan a bunch and then I would take a picture of the album page that had the date at the top of the album page and all three photos so that I can go back and do it later if I am so inclined. Yeah. Also, um, I started to say this seems like a place where machine learning might be able to help over time as stuff like that gets better. But I'm sure I'm sure that's what Apple and Google are using on their end anyway already. But, yeah, absolutely. But but maybe locally, maybe like this app you're talking about, like you're going to maybe more local options are going to start building stuff like that in as well. I mean, that like we talked about this on the full nerd when I was on there with Adam and Alex Batalia a few months, uh, weeks ago, like. Uh-huh. This seems like, I mean, AI, obviously, like a very hot button issue like this. This seems like like an example of the good kind of use of AI, though, like like there's like generative AI, obviously, is its own like fraught issue. But I think of this as more of like a signal processing AI situation, you know? Yeah, this is this is this is automating a tedious task that I'm not going to ever pay anybody to do. Right, Right, right. Um, it's, or, or, nor could you really, because you can't pay somebody to know who all your family, your SOT, your, your, like your, your wide ranging members of your family from 40 years ago are. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's worth, it's worth saying, I think the Apple stuff doesn't run. It's not even cloud-based. I think the Apple stuff just runs locally. Oh, um, so, so yeah, I, I'm generally like, I, I'm generally a fan of the face recognition stuff on, yeah. uh, on the on the photo services yeah uh, they they are pretty expensive but also once you get them uploaded and tagged you can always pull the photos back off the service if you want sure um yeah oh uh, it's, a, it's a big job the thing i will say is you should do it because the photos a if you have a flood or fire or something some other tragedy. first off i'm I also i'm sorry about your loss yeah, it's, yes. that's yeah, condolences that's awful um but but yeah like don't don't wait to scan the photos until you have the perfect setup to scan the photos because you probably never get there and it's better to like once you have them in the machine it's easier to fix them than it is to to get them into the machine i guess yes for sure um gosh this is just reminding me we should move on but it's reminding me of the old vhs home movies we have Mm-hmm. thankfully my, my parents did have them captured gosh 10 years ago i may have talked about this before they yeah, sent we, them off in the mail to some service, but I'm the, looking at the first of all, they're captured to DVD, so they're like MPEG two uh, encoded. <laughs> so there's you know they're not the highest quality, but they are at least okay. I mean, they exist uh, is the thing, right? Yeah. Um, but I keep thinking about I keep thinking about building one of those rigs that lets you tap straight go go straight into the RF taps on a VHS deck and re- recapturing them myself in the cleanest possible way. And I don't know if it's actually worth the effort or not. How, how, how involved is that? Do you know? I, I, so there's the, the, uh, is it pronounced doomsday duplicator? It's spelled like domesday duplicator, but I believe it's pronounced doomsday. I assumed it was doomsday. Um, that is fairly pricey to set up. I think you, you might be able to get like a pre-made one for like two fifty three hundred dollars $300, but then you would also need a compatible VCR that still works. And, uh, and it's a short list of VCRs, right? Uh, I got the sense they're actually fairly easy to come by. Um, okay. But it sounds like there's also a much cheaper solution, hardware solution now for doing it that I, I don't know. The main thing that stopped me from getting into that is just I don't know if there's a big difference in quality because obviously the point is to get the best possible quality uh, for these priceless home movies. But uh, yeah, there's I think there's another one you can build for like less than 100 bucks. 
so for what it's worth having, I just, I just took a bunch of VHS home movies and put them on a private YouTube channel for family members. And the quality I got off of my old sharp stereo VHS recorder into a modern, uh, capture card was pretty good. Yeah. Like it's not it. like it, 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 you got the gist, yeah. right? It's not, it's not like an archival version of the, of the video, but it was better than nothing. And and actually a lot of the tapes had degraded to the point that I don't think we would have been able to get much better off of them. Even yeah, with better that's, gear. That's kind of what's stopping me is these were recorded on a pretty primitive VHS camcorder to begin with. So they're the, even, even at the time, the quality was not great. Um, but you know, the, the point of this thing is you're bypassing all of the video output hardware and right. whatever VSC or VCR you're using. So it is the purest signal you can get. Anyway, that's, <laughs> Perhaps a topic for another time. That that seems like we could do a whole episode on probably. Yeah. Yeah. I should I should maybe start looking at that again. The other thing is the tapes are all back home and there's I'm certainly never putting those things in the mail again. So no, I, have, but, I would have to do it while I'm there. But you could set up the machine there and hook it up to your MacBook. Yes, that is definitely true. Yeah. Um here's an email from Stefan in Denmark. Uh, I have a three and a half year old daughter, and I think she would really enjoy some very basic gaming. I find the iPad and phone apps pretty mind-numbing and repetitive. I also think that the bright colors, weird messaging, and distraction to YouTube are also not great. Uh, Will, when did your daughter start her first gaming, and how did you start? I was thinking of maybe making a little retro console and maybe starting with some classic old games, but it would be great to get your opinion. So I tried that. I tried putting on like Super Mario Brothers, and and it it didn't. It was too hard. Sure. So when yes. they're that, when they're that age, it like some kids will take a challenge and some kids are not like, are like, well, this is boring and I, and I suck at it. So I'm going to go do something else. She's definitely in the latter category or at least was then we, um, so we did, we did, I did a lot of co-op platformer stuff. So like we played co-op Splunky kind of a lot, which seems like a weird choice when I said that super Mario brothers was too hard, but like it became a it became like a gaming challenge for me to help keep her alive despite her best efforts to kill herself. Um, the, the 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 other thing I did was um, Mario Maker. So I would load up load up Mario Maker and we would take turns making levels for each other. So I would make an easy level for her that taught her how to jump over holes. Like like if you've ever watched one of those documentaries, it's like, hey, look at how Super Mario Brothers one one teaches you to play Super Mario Brothers in the first like four minutes of you playing that game. I did that right. Like I gave her I gave her one enemy that she had to jump over or stomp. And then I gave her a wide enough group of enemies that she had to stomp somebody. And and so like I gradually taught her how to play that game and I would make levels that would that would be engaging and fun without being too, too hard. And then she would make nightmares that were just hellish spam holes full of a million enemies and would cackle if I could get to the end of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so like just, you know, it's you, the big thing is if they're never going to like stuff that you like, if you push it on them. Right. So y- you have to, you have to like pay attention to what they're enjoying and what they're having fun with. And like, like I tried to get her to play breath of the wild or, or link to the past at some point. And like, she was like, Oh, this is cute. But kids who grow up playing Minecraft and Roblox and things where you can build something and you can share it with your friends and, and like have a shared world that you walk around in are kind of underwhelmed by linear game experiences until they're old enough to appreciate a linear story. Right. Until they're old enough to like watch a two hour movie or watch an eight episode TV show and be like, Oh man, I love what happened with the character development through this. Yeah. Um, 
and 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 you have to be respectful and understanding of that because if you if you push them they're going to bounce off and you'll never you'll never have the desired outcome yeah I, I talked about this on next lander recently i had that exact experience and was pretty humbled by it i tried to over the holidays i, I thought my nephews would really be interested in spider-man 2 on the ps5 yeah they d- didn't even get past the intro before they were like this is boring we want to go back to total totally reliable delivery service yeah which is which is just a big open world improvisational dumb physics thing but but like uh, so many of the games that kids play now are essentially about playing house or playing dolls or yeah. playing dress up yeah. or playing like kind of making up your own yeah doing, doing what you want like toko world which is an one of the one of the cute overbright ipad games is one of my absolute favorites it's it's kind of lousy with microtransactions but they aren't exploitative in a way that like for example roblox is don't don't maybe don't let your kids play roblox also mm, yeah. um but but toko world gives people it's essentially like digital dollhouses where you can you know there's a hospital set and there's a school set and they like kids can role play and stuff like that i think it's all single player which is kind of kind of the the bummer on that side but for example i bought my daughter the sims and set her up with a couple of expansion packs and she plays some sims but the fact that she can go through and build this big house and do a whole whole deal and she doesn't have a way to invite her friends into it to share that experience is like a complete deal breaker for her yeah. right that that at that point she's not interested in investing the time and energy in it and and i get that it's a it's a different it's a different audience yeah. um but yeah and and we do we do a lot of like i pick something she picks something right so i'll we'll play we'll play Fortnite one night and then she wants to play rounds or she wants to play uh something else like sometimes it's just about a place to be silly and have fun which is which is also nice those are good things to oh. do Oh, and I forgot during the pandemic, we're doing it again this year because it was great. We did video game summer camp one year where I got each day I had a different curriculum. And like one day I got the mister out and we played old NES and SNES games and we didn't play them for very long. We played them for like maybe 20 minutes each. And if she liked one, then we'd stick with it and play a little bit longer. But we'd go through like like the top like top five, my top five or top 10 games from a from a couple of consoles. One day was all motion control stuff. So we did like we I hooked up the Wii and I hooked up the Donkey Kong bongas and I hooked up Samba de Amigo, stuff like that. We did a rhythm game day with Rock Band where we just had like Rock Band set up and and pl- she played guitar and drums and sang songs and, and stuff like that. Um, I can't remember the other two. One, I think we did a GameCube day maybe. And then um, like we played Halo the last day. Okay. Uh, so, so she was, when that happened, she was probably six or seven, but, but like that gave her something to be excited about that was not, um, that, that was like short enough time frame that if she wasn't into something. She knew that it wasn't too long before the next thing that she might be interested in. And some of it, she really loved, she really loved Donkey Kong jungle beat. Who doesn't love Donkey Kong jungle beat when you, when you are wailing on the maracas, the, mm-hmm. the bongos. Yes. But, uh, yeah, anyway. That's fun. That's a fun idea. One, she, one last. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. No, she was too short for Samba de Migo. It turns out she'll get there. Yeah. Uh, one last thing I was going to add here. If, if you really are bent on doing some retro games, one thing that my nephews really liked, even when they were like four or five is like Rampage in particular is the game we were going to play. But I was going to say arcade games, old arcade games in general. Yeah. I think the reason for that is those games are designed to, as long as you keep pumping quarters in, just let you keep going, you know, like dying in rampage. If you've got more credits on the machine is nothing because you just respawn instantly. Exactly. Uh, and when you've got those games in a format where you can just pump fake quarters into it endlessly, like that kind of, even though those games are hard and designed to kill you constantly, um, you know, beat them up, same thing, you know, like mm-hmm. any, anything where you can just hit the button and just come right back. 
even even little kids where they're too hard are not going to care probably the other end of that is that modern mar- modern nintendo platformers are generally have like a little kid mode yes. so like yoshi all the yoshi's games i think super mario wonder has one it does like although it, it's a it, bummer because the the easy characters don't get to do all the fun stuff which is a terrible choice yeah they like i i think i would go with like the most recent yoshi game which was the crafted world i think um had a fantastic one because she didn't realize that she was getting an easy version of the game. Just when she fell down a hole, she would bounce back up huh. and it was great when she was little. Cause she did like, cause the thing is the kids don't want to feel like you're being, they're playing the, the easy, like you're playing the hard one and they're playing the easy one. They want to feel like you're doing the same thing and you're doing the shared experience. Yeah. So it works really well in that sense. And it sucks. I didn't realize that the, that the super Mario one did that. That sucks. Yeah. The Yoshis and Nabbit can't use power ups. They can't like turn into the elephant and stuff. That's, like, it's like, what are you doing? Why would you do that? That's a terrible choice. Yeah, it really is. Um, okay. A couple more real quick here. Uh, Doug in Boston. Uh, I'm moving next month into a house with a half finished basement. I'm going to have my PC on the finished half and a workshop on the unfinished. What I want is either to be able to use my PC from both sides or uh, just get a second system set up. Uh, what would you guys suggest? Long cables, some sort of wireless system portals. <laughs> um, it's hard to know. Like, what do you think he wants to do with the PC? Yeah, I guess that's that is a question like what especially what from the workshop like what from the remote end do you need to be able to do there? Like, do you just need like basic keyboard and mouse and monitor or I mean, I guess that that handles most use cases. But yeah, you you, you can do um like there's KVM over Ethernet setup so you can run 100 meters. No problem. Yeah, um, they're probably not great for gaming. Right. Uh, yeah, the, like I guess if, 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 if picture quality and latency are a concern, that makes things a little harder. If you just need to be able to see what's on the screen and interact with it in a basic way, then yeah, something like a KVM would be fine. Yeah. But I think what HDMI, you can go up to five meters or something, depending on this, which, which version of HDMI it is. Maybe um, it's three meters. My, I've got that 30 foot HDMI cable that I want to say is a one point. It's definitely pre 2.0. It's like 1.2, 1.4 or something like that. I forget what the previous yeah. HDMI versions were. That that one would just barely do about 30 feet and it's really heavy gauge cable. Yeah. Um, newer like HDMI 2.1 is very short. Like I, think your, I think your issue with that HDMI at 30 feet is that you're going to be your USB cables won't go that long. Yeah. Unless you get some kind of extender option for those. Yeah. Or put a powered hub in the middle. Yeah. Which um, I, I guess I guess like repeat USB repeaters are fairly reliable and not super expensive, right? Because I, I think there there are way more expensive options for turning USB into like what optical maybe or yeah, you you like data centers have KVMs that are optical, right? right. You can you can you can spend easily spend thousands of dollars on this if you want. Yeah. Um, I mean, the other option is to set up like a like a, a remote. Uh, network or an RNC terminal on one end and just run Ethernet there and remote desktop into the computer. Again, probably not great for games. Yeah. But if you want like to have a USB device that connects to a um, to a uh, uh, like a like a CNC router or something in your workshop, then that totally that totally works. You know, Parsec actually would be pretty good. Parsec is game ready, basically, like especially on a local network. That's true. Can Uh, you pass USB through through Parsec, though? Um, could you plug a gamepad into the, into yes. the dumb end? Oh, you yes. can. Okay. Yes. Yeah. You can, you can fully interact with the remote end with keyboard oh. mouse and controllers. So I, yeah, like if you have whatever cheap, I mean, obviously you're going to have to have some kind of cheap terminal on the remote end, uh, well, but, but you could run parsec on that and that would probably work well. Yeah. But I mean, kind of the other question is if you just want a computer for computering, 
and not for like something heavy like games or video editing or whatever, then then honestly, like look at a hundred dollar B link or Raspberry Pi or something like that and just set up a, a cheap dumb terminal. Yeah, you know, set, set up a, a low power, low stakes that you can then, you know, use Steam remote link or Parsec or whatever to remote into your big your big computer. Yeah. Um, I think is a, is maybe the easier probably probably is going to be less fiddly and less prone to depending on depending. So here's the other thing is if you're talking about putting a computer on one side of the wall and the monitor and keyboard and mouse on the other side of the wall, just knock a hole in the wall and run a USB and HDMI cable through the wall. Cause that's yes. no problem. Yes. If you're talking about running it 30 feet, 40 feet, then maybe, maybe buy a cheap computer to go on the other end. Yeah. Uh, all right. Last question. It's from okay. cake batter. Oh, did you know that the state mine inspector of Arizona is an elected position? Look, democracy's working clearly. I guess so. I am um, I'm, 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 on a completely unrelated note. I'm happy to announce my candidacy uh, for the position of Arizona state mine inspector. <laughs> Arizona has 600 working mines and an estimated 120,000 abandoned mines. Show what? That is a lot of holes in the ground. Dude, I mean, I guess. To be fair, I guess the definition of mine is pretty flexible. Like, like it could be a very, very small hole and still be counted as a mine. But 120, I, I wouldn't have said there were 120,000 abandoned mines in the country, let alone one state. The very, very small holes are yours, not mine. Okay. Sure. They have four mine inspectors for 120,000 abandoned. I'm not, I'm going to say I don't ever want to go into mine in Arizona. No, or anywhere. That, that's my I'm hot concerned. take here. I really, I would love to kind of go in a real mine. Uh, I mean, okay, with proper protective gear, sure. I I recently listened to the Behind the Bastards episodes about the Hawk's Nest mine disaster in West Virginia. Is that the one where the ground's been burning for forty years? No, no. Okay. This was this is terrible, terrible stuff. Like they like they got they got really into the the physiological aspect of I can't remember what the condition is, but where you inhale a lot of silica dust. Yeah, and what silica particles due to your lungs is absolutely horrific yeah it's um and that's yeah God, it was, what's that called it's bad I, it is there's a there's a name for that condition and i can't quite remember it off the top of my head but it, it was an awful awful exploitative situation where a lot of people died uh because they were more or less pressed into mining in awful unsafe conditions regulations did come out of it at least well that's something uh but after listening to that i thought you know maybe i won't visit any mines anytime soon well i mean that's the kind of thing that like um it's it's, it's the kind of thing that you do once and you're fine you do every day for 40 years and you have a problem right yeah 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 um Mine, mines are dangerous holes and big holes in the ground pulmonary fibrosis is one of the things that comes out of that but i think it's also silicosis is the other silicosis, one silicosis that was the term yes. yeah uh but uh mines dangerous places they it seems yeah but also it's cool to go in holes in the ground it turns out yeah it's true. You know, I, um, I always wanted to go to one of those deep mine, like one, one of those, like, well, yeah, one of the, one of the detectors, one of the, like the cosmic ray detectors deep in a mine someplace in an abandoned mine. That seems like it'd be really cool. Anyway, yeah. if you, if you, if you have access to abandoned, you know, science equipment in, in deep holes, let us know. The email yeah. address is techpod at content.down. We'll be there. Yeah. We, we, we would like to see your holes. That's what I'm saying right now. I'm going to get that out there. Uh, as always, we're not just uh, amateur hole aficionados. This is a professional podcast, Brad. Mm -hmm. True. Uh, we are a hundred percent listener supported. There's no ads. There's no, no shenaniganry here. Uh, if you would like to support the show, you can join our Patreon 
by going to patreon.com slash techpod. Again, that is patreon.com slash techpod. And for five bucks a month, you get access to the Discord. You get the patron exclusive show, which we do every month. You get uh, the, the, I mean, look, I say the Discord is really, really good every week. The Discord is, I'm underselling it pretty dramatically. It is a lovely place full of really smart people who have fascinating conversations about everything from the meme culture of the youth all the way up to, uh, I, I mean, look, I, the thing that's hung in my head is the other day when somebody tried to explain the skibbity toilet thing to a bunch of people who don't have kids. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it was, it was a fascinating, it was uh, ultimately, I think fruitless, but an interesting <laughs> conversation nonetheless. Understandable. But then also like I, I, as I'm learning how to use this model 100, I'm, I'm getting, uh, support and, and enthusiastic cheering on and kind of, uh, Hey, why are you doing this to yourself from the folks at the keyboard channel? And yeah, we share recipes in the food channel and there's a lot of, there's a lot of good community stuff that happens yeah, in there for sure. I was, uh, I was hanging out with a friend recently who is going down a similar computing rabbit hole to what I've done over the last few years, like getting really interested in Unix and shell scripting and maybe some light programming, but is also really like interested in assembly language and low level. Anyway, <laughs> And I got to drop a bunch of facts that I've learned from people on our Discord about how compilers work and stuff like that. Did you find out how aligned their under desk mounts were? Not, not yet. Okay. That's, that's for later. Okay. Um, if you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash checkpod. Again, it's patreon.com slash checkpod. And since it's the last episode of the month, we are going to thank not only our executive producer tier patrons, but also our associate producer tier patrons. So first off, executive producers, thank you to Andrew Slosky, Bunny Fiend, comma, the... Paddle Creek Games Makers of Fractured Veil, David Allen, James Kamek, Joel Krauska, Jordan Lippett, Just Wedge, Twinkle Twinkie, and Pantheon, makers of the HS3 high-speed 3D printer. Uh, and uh, also a very special thank you to our associate producer tier patrons, including Alejandro Navarro, Andre M. Burke, Andrew Dicey Shudice, Arthur Geese, Ben Tallman, Eric, Eric Klein, Eric the Fourth, soon to be the first after the Great Eric War, Felix Kramer, Graham Banks, Jad Rita, Matt Walker, parentheses, Walkman 8080, close parentheses, Nathan Phelps, Sanchuk Kumar, Steve Lynn, Thomas Shea, and Tom Hilton. Thank you all so, so much. Yeah, thank you. We deeply appreciate it. Yeah, and thanks, thanks to everybody who supports the show. And if you don't support the show, you can't support the show, that's cool. Tell your friends, you know, yeah. post a review on iTunes, mm-hmm. uh, match the subscribe button in your favorite podcast app of choice, and come back next week for another episode of the Tech Pod. See you all then. Mm-hmm.